Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, title of my talk is The Return of Inspector Web, and the subtitle is Web Components a Year Later. Um, as uh, Paul mentioned, I'm Angelina Fabro. I'm from a uh, very sunny place, Vancouver, Canada. Uh, this is me on Twitter. Uh, I haven't pushed the slides up to GitHub yet, but I will after the talk, I promise. So if you want to follow me, um, I'll tweet them. I'm sure that Frontiers will retweet them because uh, there's some links that I put together for you guys in here. So follow for slides. And also, I make a joke that I do. Someone made this joke to me the other day that I do panda evangelism because there are lots of lots of pandas in my in my in my uh, stream there. Um, and so yeah, of course I work at Mozilla. You might be familiar with us for one reason or another. I spend a lot of my time these days working on um, Firefox OS. As uh, I know, there was a talk early this morning that talked about Firefox OS, so it's not news for me to mention that. And once upon a time at JSConf EU 2012, I gave a talk on web components. And in, you know, specifically, I focused on Shadow DOM, which is sort of like the glue technology of web components. And since then, uh, when it comes to conferences, it's been pretty much the number one topic that people say, hey, well, we'd really like you to come talk at our conference. Can you do something on web components? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you guys, I kind of do other stuff too. But they're like, no, no, we really want web components. And you know, to be honest, I'm not really surprised. The technologies for web components have kind of exploded in popularity because they allow us to really change how we do things in the front end. So uh, I decided that for Frontiers, because uh, this is approximately just a little bit more than a year since I gave that initial talk, it might be a good idea to do an updated talk with some more details. This, is, this format is actually longer than the one at JSConfU, and give everybody sort of an idea of what the current landscape is for these technologies, what they do, and like what their current browser implementations are. So web components are the new HTML5. Probably most of the developers in this room and people that will be watching this video later understand that the term HTML5 does not necessarily refer to a version of HTML5. Once upon a time, uh, people made the argument to me that HTML5 stood for well, you know, it's a, it's a group of things. It's HTML5, and it's CSS level three modules, and it's JavaScript. And what they really were trying to say is that with these technologies and their latest incarnation, we were able to build rich, featureful applications in the browser. So that's what HTML5 came to mean. Uh, so web components kind of are going through a sort of transitional naming sort of uh, headache in the same sense. Web components don't really refer to one specific technology. They refer to a set of technologies that rather enable the creation of web components, which are modular, reusable, ideally encapsulated blocks of code for building maintainable applications in the front end. So, Shadow DOM. Sounds kind of spooky. How many people here are familiar with Shadow DOM at least a little bit? Okay, so it's like a third of you, maybe. Um, I didn't want to make too many assumptions about uh, the level of knowledge of the audience, so we're going to go over Shadow DOM and the other associated uh, technologies. So uh, to begin with, there's Shadow DOM, but we're also going to talk about HTML templates, we're going to talk about HTML imports, and we're going to talk about custom elements. and. <gasps> We might even talk about decorators, which doesn't have a spec, but it's in the explainer, and I'm asked about it a lot. So we'll touch upon that a little bit today, too. So Shadow DOM, uh, if you haven't heard about it before, it's the ability to take a document and hide it inside of an element inside of your parent document. So if you imagine a page that has uh, five divs in it, and you create one of these magic shadow documents, you can hide it inside one of those divs. And it has a lot of the properties, in fact, most of the properties of a regular fully-fledged document, so you can add children to it, you can manipulate it, you can apply styles to the things inside that document, or that shadow document, rather. Um, but the knowledge, like anything about that document, the, the parent scope, the parent document, 
doesn't know anything about it. So if you were to have a shadow document hiding inside one of these five divs in your page, and, you, and that shadow document also contains some divs, and you iterate it over the parent document, the parent document would still only have five divs according to, according to what your code returns. So the key concepts for what Shadow DOM introduces uh, is it introduces a soft boundary of encapsulation. I say soft because there are ways to reach in and reach out of these boundaries. And also the important thing is that the rendering of a shadow tree replaces that of its host tree. So I was talking about this host div. <coughs> Excuse me. I was talking about this host div that we may hide a shadow tree in. And I'm going to give you an example in a moment here. Uh, when, when we actually insert things into the shadow tree, the rendering of that shadow tree replaces the rendering of the host node. And it's important to note that the rendering happens, but we don't actually replace the host node's children or anything like that, just, just the rendering of them. So, uh, you know, the, the parent document doesn't actually know that, you know, this widget that you've styled is actually you know, something else. It kind of reminded me of this, actually. I, I love this. Sir, are you aware that you're a cat? You know, like if you told the document that, that that div was actually secretly a widget for controlling the volume on your cool new music player, the document would be like, well, I can't see it, so it's not there. So let's, let's use some examples with cats, right? So right here I have an unordered list of three cats, and uh, they're pretty cool. And so maybe the markup looks something like this. I've got an unordered list of cats, and maybe I've decided arbitrarily that uh, the second two cats are more awesome than the first cat. Sorry, first cat. Look, he looks kind of sad anyway. So I've got this markup, and uh, I've decided to put classes appropriately on the list elements for the cats that I find more awesome than the first cat. The next thing that I'm going to want to do is, oh, Sorry, the resolution here is a little bit tight, so hopefully you can read that. But um, So I'm going to uh, grab, grab the element cats, so that was my unordered list, pop it in this variable cats, and then I'm going to create a shadow root on it with this function here and store the result of that in this variable shadow cats. So shadow cats now contains my shadow document. And then I'm going to set the inner HTML of that to this string right here. So I've added my own list element, but I've also done something really interesting over here with this content tag. This is a special tag that allows me to say to the shadow tree, hey, at this particular insertion point, please grab elements from the host's children that match the criteria of this selector. So what should happen here is the, uh, pardon me, the list elements that had the class of awesome will be inserted at this point here. So really what we should get back is only two cats. And so we would get something kind of like this. So that's all well and good, but like, let's actually do some, some more demo-y kind of stuff. So uh, I haven't been able to enjoy too much of the conference because I had uh, some unfortunate illness. But what I did do is in like a fevered state, I hacked up this demo thing. <laughs> so that uh, you can actually visit it, uh, the, the top one there, it's actually hosted. Um, if you are tinkering with it while I'm speaking, please note that the third demo will only work in Chrome Canary with the HTML imports flag turned on. So if you click in, it doesn't work. That's the reason why. And then the second link, of course, is just the repository with a disclaimer saying that this is fever-produced code <laughs> so that you know Douglas Crockford doesn't find it and hate me forever because it's pretty bad. Um, but the point is, is that it works. So let's actually go over to Chrome Canary. So I did have a nice grid of three by three cats, but that's OK. We're going to remix some cats. And so what I wanted to do with this minimal example is right now, there are a lot of really cool frameworks and polyfills for uh, for all of these features, Shadow DOM, HTML imports, et cetera. But 
a lot of people, I've noticed, fall into two categories of developer. On one hand, uh, some people are perfectly fine to grab something awesome like Polymer Project, which we're going to talk about. And that framework is basically like web components plus some sugar and some things like model-driven views, and it's really cool. And they don't really care too much about like what a really basic native implementation might look like. But then I have other people who say to me, well, no, I, I don't want that. I need to understand kind of how it would work in a native implementation, like with just some bare bones, like 10 lines of code or less. So the idea with these examples was that I could code up something short and sweet in a browser that does have the implementations in order to show how they work. So Chrome Canary is the one that has the most support for these things right now. But as we go through the presentation, you'll see that other browsers are slowly catching up. So what we're going to do is we're going to use something kind of like uh, the thing that we are doing before. We've got more cats to choose from this time. So uh, it says at the top here, uh, what cats do you find lovely? Do you want to shout some out? We've got like nine whole cats here. Which one looks good to you? I, I, you like number six? It's got three cats. That's a pretty good choice. Seven? You hadn't even seen seven yet. You're just shouting out numbers now. OK, well, let's, let's pick three of them. We've got uh, six, seven, and nine. And uh, let me, um, how do I do this in Chrome again? All right, let's look in the developer tools. All right, is that big enough? You guys can definitely see that? OK. So let's take a look inside of my example one div. It's going to highlight, of course, in Chrome as, I'm, as I go over these things. But let's look at the unordered list of cats. Looks pretty, pretty normal, right? Kind of like the markup that we looked at. Nothing, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary there. If we scroll down here and we click the Choose Cats button, however, something magical happens. Suddenly, there are only three cats. And also, this thing called Document Fragment appears. And this here, my friends, is Shadow DOM. What's happened here is you can see that the original host elements, children, all these list elements, are still there. But what we've told what we've told the Shadow DOM is please only select the cats that we've selected. I have a little bit of JavaScript behind the scenes that you know, adds these classes so that I can use the selectors later and stuff like that. It's, it's, you don't really need to know too much about that. But the important thing is that, uh, that we've inserted the shadow tree, and its rendering has replaced the rendering of uh, its host. All right, so that's the first example. So a few things about uh, these shadow trees. Uh, there is a very interesting CSS rule that's specific to the context here of, of uh, Shadow DOM. When you use this at host rule for CSS from inside of a shadow tree, this effectively allows you to kind of reach outside the soft encapsulated boundary that I've been talking about and say, hey, I would like to style the parent, or pardon me, the host element that the shadow tree is contained in. So in this case, that would actually be the unordered list. So actually, if we applied the CSS back here, display, display block, some padding, and border, we would get something kind of like this. The awesome cats are, and we would get a purple border around it. <coughs> pardon me, excuse me. And so there are also some other cool things that have been introduced, uh, at least since you know, a year ago when I was first talking about this material. There have been some interesting pseudo-elements to allow us to, give, you know, to have more styling control and more selection control. So for example, there is the, there's content. And uh, if you've been following sort of the uh, evolution of the Shadow DOM spec, uh, it's actually a spec that's very much in flux right now. If you compare the editor's draft with like the current working draft, they're very different in a lot of ways. And one of them is that if you look at the working draft, it'll, it'll have this distributed sort of thing. But actually, it's moving towards this, this content here. And so what this will do is this will take all of the elements that are descendants of an element that is distributed at an insertion point, so at those content tags we were talking about. So for example, the one on the bottom there should select all of the list items that have the class awesome at a particular content insertion point. So that actually, uh, th that's actually pretty cool. 
The next one is uh, part. Now, part I really like because it essentially allows you to create your own own uh, custom uh, pseudo selectors in a sense. So, uh, if we have a uh, pardon me, if we have a, a div and we assign it to variable component, and then we do something similar to what we did in the last example, and we put a sh we create a shadow root on component and then assign it to root. And then we also create another div. Like, let's imagine a situation where we are creating our ideal music player kind of widget. We want some element that's going to be a control, so we create another div there. By setting the property on control of pseudo and giving it the string of control, and then appending that to the shadow root, and then, of course, we assign that, we append that stuff all to the DOM, we can actually do something like this. We can say component and then reach in, looking for the part that we happen to have assigned the pseudo of control to. So that actually gives you a lot of power, actually, because from the parent style sheet, you can reach in, and that's you traversing that boundary again. You can reach in and style things inside of your shadow DOM tree. And if this looks familiar, it should, because using uh, browser prefixed pseudo elements like this, we've been styling things on like the HTML video element and uh, the range slider for quite some time to try and get around the native default styles. So this will give you a lot of control over those details there. So Shadow DOM browser support, the part that everybody really cares about. Firefox, soon. We don't actually have it yet, but we have some of the other features, I promise you. Um, and actually, uh, a short while ago, we had the, the Mozilla Summit in Brussels, and I was very fortunate to, to grab a bunch of people at Mozilla together, some who are people that are spec maintainers and writers, and some people who are actually platform implementers to discuss, like, OK, like, what's going on with some of these specs? And OK, why haven't we implemented these features? Because people really seem to want them. <coughs> and so uh, we got together and, you know, like a general hurrah was had that, yes, we should be working on this. And so um, I made sure I'm, I'm CC'd on like all the bugs to do with web components now to know when and if they get implemented so I can kind of like light a fire under someone's butt. Uh, because I, 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 uh, when I'm actually out there talking about just Firefox OS, people actually want to build Firefox OS apps using these technologies. It's not just it's not just limited to, to desktop, and it's not just limited to the existing context that we're used to, but actually this new platform, people are already looking for these things. And so I, I understand not, you know, not just my own enthusiasm for them, but that other developers want them as well, so I'd like to push for that. And Chrome actually has uh, had this in Chrome Stable for a while. In order to see the shadow trees, you still have to go into the developer tools and turn on Show Shadow DOM, but it's there in Stable, and it's there for you to use. Internet Explorer? don't know. Uh, if anybody watches this or is in the audience and knows someone that I can talk to uh, at Microsoft about this, I am still totally in the dark to do with Internet Explorer. Now, you may notice that I'm omitting Opera. Uh, Opera is now using the same rendering engine as uh, Chrome, which is Blink, so should work just fine over there. And I'm omitting Safari because they kind of fall into the same category as IE. Like, I have no idea what they're doing, and they are kind of a closed black box. I, I don't really know who we could ask there. If somebody else knows that, please tell me, because I would love to be able to communicate this information to developers. Um, and Safari, being that you know it's WebKit, theoretically has the ability to expose this stuff to developers, and I don't really know why, how, how they haven't yet. I mean, you know, it seems to be the way forward. Maybe they're waiting for the spec to firm up. I don't really know. So HTML templates. They look a little something like this. So we've got some more cats, because that's going to be a recurring theme here. And uh, what a template is, is it's essentially a piece of inert markup. And so what happens when the browser encounters a template is it will be parsed but not rendered. It's not rendered and it's not alive, as they say, until it's injected into the DOM later. So 
we can, what we can do is something like this. We can grab some element, let's just call it host in this case, and again, give it a shadow tree. And then all we have to do is append the content of that template to it to bring that, bring that live. And then the rendering of that template's content in the shadow tree will replace whatever was in the host. So let's actually go back to that demo again. All right, so my second demo here, let's append some cats using a template. So if we go all the way to the bottom of my demo, there's actually a template here. And you'll notice that Chrome is quite clever. Uh, Chrome, so the, the template tag, uh, which I was going to get to in a moment, is actually implemented in Firefox as well. <coughs> but because we don't have Shadow DOM support yet, um, we don't quite get the same document fragment and the boundary of encapsulation that we would get here in Chrome. Chrome is actually doing it the way that I would expect, and that's that there's a document fragment which contains all the stuff in the template. I would want that to be encapsulated, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, here's a template that I've just appended on the bottom of my document. Uh, if people have used like handlebars before, I normally use like a script tag. Uh, this is essentially client-side templating that's designed to replace that. We don't need to do those hacks anymore. It's going to be built right into the browser, which I think is kind of a relief. So what's actually going to go on here is up in example two, I have this div. It's an empty div called future cats because there's no cats there yet. And if I click this button, append cats, bam. I got a div. Oh, I got another div. And there's my document fragment with my cats, which if you look inside the very bottom here in the document fragment, oh, it's gone now. Uh, if in the document fragment, the style uh, will actually have, you know, dashed blue just to verify that it's actually the template that I was using. So that is simple use of HTML templates. And now the cool thing about HTML templates is that um, Oh, you know what? I actually got this one wrong. Chrome does have, oh, no, sorry, style scope. So you may have noticed in the last example that I was using uh, style scoped. Uh, this is a particular, a particular attribute that will make it so that if you declare some style within an element, the style should only apply to the children of its parent or host element. So the style should only apply to whatever is inside that template tag. And what I was going to say here is, as far as I know, StyleScoped is only implemented in Firefox. It has been since, I think, 22. Chrome, I don't think so. Um, there are Chrome people here that could correct me on this if it, if it has been recently. And IE, again, I have no idea. Uh, as for HTML templates, uh, Firefox has support for this. Chrome has support for this. And you're starting to see a pattern here. Internet Explorer, I'm sorry, I don't know. Um, so uh, the next thing that we're going to run into is HTML imports. So we all know how to include style sheets in our document. Wouldn't it be pretty awesome if we could include our templates and markup the same way using something like this? Well, thankfully, people that are writing W3C specs and figuring out what fantastic browser features we should ship also thought that too. So now we can do something like this. I can include some HTML. And it's basically like if you've programmed other languages, it's like, it's like pound include for the web. It's very much like that. And so if we go back over to my demo here, um, we're going to view the source of this. Is, this, is, this is an external document to uh, my demo. And it's just uh, it's, another, it's another template. And I've given it a different ID. It's import cats template. And the difference is really that there are some different cats and that the border here is um, you know, green instead of blue so that when it gets appended to the DOM, you don't think I'm making things up. But if we go back over here, at the very, very top, you can see in the head that I've got import cats there, haha, <laughs> just right underneath my style sheet. No funny business. And then if I click import cats, kablamo, there's more cats. So it's as simple as that. 
And uh, uh, the JavaScript that I've got going on here is very heavily commented. The idea is that this is not the most elegant piece of JavaScript, but rather it's supposed to be used as a teaching tool. Like, I've got all my variables on different lines. I'm not using strict mode. I wanted something really quick and dirty that could give someone or an overview of like, oh, this is all it is. So if you uh, want to help me with this or you have additions or ideas, please, please help me. Like I say, I coded it in kind of like a post-fever dream kind of haze. So any input is, is going to be great. But that's essentially uh, HTML imports. They're very, really quite simple. And that was me going to the demo already. So. And so yeah, browser support. Uh, Firefox, soon, again, we don't have anything for, for HTML imports. Chrome has it, but it's behind flags. You have to go into, I guess it's about flags or Chrome flags, and uh, it's under HTML imports. And it's pretty easy to find. And IE, no. So now let's talk a little bit about custom elements, which if you've used something like Angular already, or if you are familiar with the Polymer project, or you've been following web components, you definitely know about this already. Uh, I think that Angular as a framework has definitely sort of gotten the most attention for, for extending the DOM, which is very much an idea that's been borrowed from, from web components. So custom elements. Custom elements can be used kind of like this, and we'll look at another way that can be used in just a moment. But essentially, there are essentially custom elements are allowing you to create your own DOM elements or extend existing ones. So you might do something like this. Uh, oh, I have a typo here. This should not be xfoo. It should be uh, my widget. So just pretend that that says my widget and that I didn't do that. Um, so what we're going to do is this document register function, which uh, we'll talk about in a moment and its implementation status in browsers. And we're going to register something called my widget. And then I'm going to append a child and new my widget, and it will create a new custom element for me. And uh, the interesting thing about this, about these widgets as you create them, is that their default prototype is the HTML element prototype, unless you say otherwise. And so uh, what I wanted to make clear is that actually this top line here is essentially functionally equivalent to what's going on here. If you just omit this, it will autom automatically or should automatically just be like, OK, you're going to be an HTML element. So custom tags versus type extensions. Now, there's a couple ways that you can actually create a custom element. Um, the, this one here, you can actually do document create element my widget once you've actually registered it with the document, or you can new my widget. But the other way is actually just to do this top one here. Or you can actually do this bottom one here, which actually last time I gave a talk on this, I talked a little bit about marking things as is, but I've actually come to really appreciate the top approach a lot better. And the, the difference here is uh, that the top one is using a local name. We would call this actually custom tags. The bottom one, when it's using the is attribute uh, for custom elements, is essentially a, a what we would call a type extension. And one of the questions I had last time I talked about this stuff was, hey, so after I've instantiated my element and it's there in the DOM, what happens if I change the is attribute? Nothing happens. Turns out that's a terrible idea, and, you sh and like if, if, if it were to have consequences, it would be kind of, kind of crazy. So, uh, so that actually can't be changed after the fact. If you were to change it, it would and should do nothing. So uh, one of the interesting questions that came up is, what happens if the browser encounters one of these custom elements before the JavaScript that registers it has been run? That's a very interesting question. So the way that the browser is supposed to deal with this, according to the spec, is that it gives it a pseudo class of unresolved. And then when that element has been correctly you know, upgraded by the browser into its custom element status, that pseudo class is removed. So this is in consideration of what we all may know about already, the flash of unstyled content. 
So if you know your your page starts rendering and for some reason your JavaScript maybe gets blocked in some way and that that registration of your element is not there yet, then those elements just will not show up if you tell them to. So here's some CSS that could possibly use to, to deal with this. You've got my widget unresolved, opacity zero, and then when that pseudo element is gone, then you transition it in and it's visible again. Some, similar to the kind of stuff that you do a lot of the time uh, when you're dealing with web fonts and sort of like the, the time it takes to load those. <coughs> So browser support for document register. Um, this was like a the more you know moment for me, uh, you know, that star thing, uh, about the last day or so, because as I was putting together this talk and stuff like that, I actually learned that document register is available in Firefox behind flags. And it's also available in Chrome behind flags. I actually went looking for it in Chrome under the suspicion that it was uh, available behind a flag, but actually it's under one called experimental JavaScript something. I'll have to get back to you on that. And then Firefox, you actually have to set like a preference somewhere. So uh, I actually only found that out this afternoon. I was like, oh, that was super non-obvious. But those things are already in, in, um, in browsers, and they're under experimental flags, which means that hopefully they'll be progressing to be in more stable versions and be accessible for the everyday developer and ready for production. And Internet Explorer, no. So more on custom tags shortly, because we're going to talk about libraries that make use of custom tags. And, and really, the templates and the shadow DOM, which is the glue and like the encapsulation, all of that stuff is really, really like there, in my opinion, to make things like custom tags. I want to be able to give my widgets an awesome local name, have all or most of the, the logic pertaining to them all in one place and the styles and stuff like that. This is the fantasy world that Angelina lives in. It's what gets me to sleep at night, that this could possibly be a reality. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, the element element uh, that we talked about maybe last year um, is sort of taken a nap because of some problems. Uh, that particular thing that you may have seen in the spec before has been removed from the spec. And I was considering maybe going into some detail about why the element element was removed, but I wasn't sure that was going to be really exciting for everybody here who doesn't necessarily care about all the spec stuff. So uh, it's been removed from the spec, but that doesn't mean the custom elements are gone. Obviously, you've seen an imperative way that we can register them and use them, and people are using things like Angular and Polymer, no problems. So, uh, and also, you know, X tags. So it, it, I think we're okay for now, and maybe that'll be something to come back to. So obligatory mention when it comes to web components is decorators. Every single presentation that I come across always omits decorators, and I, I totally omit decorators too because this is a browser feature that exists in the web components explainer but does not have its own specification. Uh, the, spec you know, the specification writers have been focusing on what I think, rightly so, are sort of the more important features, uh, things like shadow DOM, templates, imports, etc. And this has sort of been like sidestepped. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting idea, but I'm going to go over it because I do get people asking me uh, a little bit about it. Because it's only in the ex explainer, I, I should warn you that uh, any questions about decorators, I might just be like, hmm, don't know, because there's really not very much information in it, or I could show you exactly which list to direct your, direct your comments to. So for example, uh, if we define a decorator, something like this. We've got a tag called decorator. We give it an ID. And inside the decorator, you see something very familiar. You see that there's a template tag. And within there, we've got some content points. So you're looking at this and wondering, like, OK, great. What's it for? A decorator is a way of specifying and applying presentational markup. So whereas custom elements give you sort of a featureful, encapsulated widget that can have state and other properties that are really helpful to you in designing an interactive application, decorators are just there for the pretty. That's it. So they use a lot of the same features, but the end outcome is not something that has any state. 
So when a decorator is applied to a host element, you can see the same thing would happen here. It's going to say, hey, the child of my host element that has this, you know, this, this summary, the selector summary, I'd like to insert that content here, and I'd like to insert all the rest of the content here. Something that I didn't mention earlier is that if you do have a content insertion point and you haven't selected something specifically, just all the children, all the children of the host element will, will go in there. So that's a way to sort of uh, specify what goes where. And so apparently, this is how decorators are to be applied. Uh, details open with square brackets. And this is in CSS now, to be clear. Decorators, although HTML seeming markup, are applied via CSS. And what we, what we do is use this decorator property here and assign it a URL that we give a ID to. I know, it's kind of weird. Uh, I've had like mixed feelings about this because on one hand I feel like mixing CSS and using it to apply HTML kind of like rustles my jimmies. But at the same time, someone made the, the argument, that was that funny, hey? <laughs> it does rustle my jimmies because I just feel like, you know, CSS, presentation, and then markup. But someone did make the argument the other day that, well, CSS is there to specify presentation and if you're specifying presentational markup, doesn't it belong there? And I'm like, Okay, maybe. So, so this is still a little bit weird to me, but this is what's in the explainer so far. And then what this would happen is, is when things actually get rendered, you'd end up with something like this. You'd end up with, with details open, and open would be the decorator being applied. And then you can see that summary was inserted here, and then an unordered list kind of like this here. So if we go back and we take a look at the original markup, uh, we can see that uh, we're creating a link with that content there and that there should be an arrow next to where summary appears and then there's a content. And if we look at this here, we see that, that it actually inserts an unordered list and it should render something kind of like this. So maybe you have an unordered list and you can use decorators to give it all this presentational markup without having to add extra stuff to the DOM. So this is just a happy little chart that I actually I actually took th this decorator's example directly from the explainer and this chart directly from the explainer that sort of gives you a little overview of uh, what decorators are to be used for and what custom elements are to be used for because uh, the major differences are that, I mean, decorators are a stateless projection and custom elements are actually like a proper stateful DOM object. So there's some important differences there because when I first heard about this a year ago, I was kind of confused. I was like, well, why would I need two versions of custom elements that, kind of, you know, decorators kind of sound like those, but actually, after learning more about it, I came to understand sort of their relevance. Right, so now the exciting stuff. I introduced sort of like the state of things being implemented. Oh, and the reason why there's no slide for implementation here, I hope should be obvious, because no spec, no implementation. Um, but. Now we want to talk about the exciting stuff, right? Like polyfills and libraries and frameworks with, with, that make it possible to actually play with this stuff. <coughs> Beyond just, uh, you know, being able to like go into Chrome Canary and like turn on some flags and be like, woohoo, this is great. Uh, but we, you know, we're all practical web developers and we want to be able to do practical stuff with these things. I would like to be building my applications with these technologies. So uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a few, uh, there's a few different few different uh, libraries and things to consider. So last year, uh, when I gave a talk at JSConfU, I talked about how Dmitry, Dmitry Glazkov, one of the spec writers, had come up with a polyfill that uh, I was using actually in that demo when I was live coding and showing how Shadowdom works. But that has been superseded by the work 
uh, done on the polymer project. Uh, there are a lot of people on that project who've done some excellent work polyfilling so that it's cross-browser compatible. And we're going to talk about polymer in just a little bit. But if you want to use a polyfill, just go use theirs. And actually, more to the point, Xtags and Brick, uh, both Mozilla projects, uh, Xtags originally had its Xtags was an implementation or is an implementation of custom elements, uh, had its own polyfills, but actually now Polymer and Xtags are sharing the same polyfills used by Polymer. And the idea here is in the spirit of open source, we should be collaborating. And the idea is that if we're using the same polyfills, I mean, same bugs for both libraries kind of thing, fix them in one place. So uh, Mozilla and Google are trying to collaborate, of course, and, and make sure this is an easy experience for developers. We don't want things to be broken in seven different ways when you're trying to get on board with this stuff. So one of the, the libraries, and the one that I, I like because it's actually quite minimal, and, and not just because it's a Mozilla thing. I liked it before I started Mozilla, just as a disclaimer, is I like Xtags and Brick a lot because it's not an opinionated framework. Essentially, Xtags polyfills custom elements, and Brick, which was recently introduced, Brick is just a set of, of widgets. It's basically a repository of widgets that are built on top of Xtags. So if you want like a date picker, if you want uh, an app bar, and it, Brick is very much tailored towards mobile application development. When it comes to Firefox OS, uh, we get developers asking us for like more tooling, and they want us to know what frameworks we think work best. But actually, we're trying to be as agnostic as possible, because that's just sort of how we do at Mozilla. So we decided to develop Brick, because it's not a full featureful framework, but it does give people these building blocks to rapidly prototype applications applications, and that's really what it seems like a lot of people are looking for. So if I pop over here to, I wanted to go over here and show you. So this is actually the, the Xtags website at xtags.org. This will just give you a little bit of, of background. This is sort of like the, the core of what's in, in Brick. But so xtags.org is where you can find the Xtag core if you don't want to use any of the Brick components. And it's cross-platform compatible, which is pretty fantastic. And as I mentioned, it's using the same polyfill that, that Polymer is using. They're sharing the same, same stuff behind the scenes. And this is, the, this is actually the Brick website. And I decided to, to show the, um, the date picker the date picker widget as an example. But all you necessarily need to do here is include this date picker markup. And it allows you to set certain properties and stuff like that. And essentially, you get something like this. So it's a really nice nice date picker. And it's, it's all just tidily hidden away for you in there. And actually, the documentation for Brick is actually pretty good. It tells you how to do lots of different things using polyfill, using the polyfill, listening for date changes. And so Brick is actually pretty fantastic. One of the things I like about Brick as a library that they do that a lot of other places don't is they allow you to build your own bundle, which I think more and more libraries should let you do, because I don't just want to like click once and have everything. I totally want to like, you know, choose what I want for lunch. I don't, I don't necessarily want the whole buffet. So, so you can actually decide which, which of these components that you would like to use there. So that's Xtag and Brick. But if we look, if we go back to the presentation for a sec, it's actually very simple to use. All you got to do is include, haha, some Brick CSS, which will, you know, if you've selected some Brick components, there will be some, some CSS. And the philosophy for Brick has always been don't provide pretty CSS, just provide like the foundational structural CSS so that things don't look totally like crap. You know, because like you say, we're trying to be t a little bit unopinionated here. And then we've got the JavaScript, which takes care of registering your elements for you like, automatically. So that all you need to do is go, bam, I want a date picker right there. All the hard work is actually done for you. 
So then there's the Polymer project, which is actually pretty fantastic. Uh, so the Polymer project, like if Xtags is just a library that gives you like some foundation and you know like like the polyfill for custom elements, and Brick is like a set of literally bricks building blocks. And the, like one of the major differences between between these brick building blocks and the kinds of things you can build with Polymer is Polymer is kind of like web components plus a lot of sugar. They provide extra extra features, kind of like model-driven views, which if you're familiar with the two-way binding that happens with things like Ember and Angular, you'll find model-driven views to be very comfortable, and things like pointer events and <coughs> pardon me, and uh, things like that. So, so really, it's like web components with sugar, and it's very simple to very simple to use, much like much like uh, uh, much like Brick. And so, I would actually say that one of the main differences between Brick and with Polymer is that Brick does not have two-way two-way bindings like like uh, Polymer does or Angular does or anything like that. It does not have any opinion on how you pass your data between your model and your view, etc. Uh, whereas Polymer is actually, you're signing up to participate with a framework. I mean, you don't necessarily have to use all of the features. That's definitely true. You can take the polyfills and just use those. But I mean, to get the most out of it, it's been structured in such a way that you, you kind of get all of this nice stuff. And it's it's actually become uh, quite popular for doing such a good job at that. And so, I mean, similarly, you do something like this. You load Polymer. And uh, unlike unlike Xtags, where, uh, where uh, the JavaScript takes care of all the registration stuff for you, uh, you actually need to import a template here, whereas you don't necessarily need to do that all the time for for X tags. And then you can declare a component by its tag similarly just like that. Bam. This is actually taken right from the Polymer Polymer website. I feel like I should say that so that I'm not like, you know. But yeah, that's from there. And uh, so something to consider though when considering all these frameworks is that uh, Polymer is 168K. I, I took Polymer minified, and it was 168K. This is from last night. Uh, for reference, Angular, another popular framework which does let you um, extend elements, 81K. Xtag, 63K. Now, another difference between Xtags and Polymer is Xtags actually does not have full Shadow DOM support. Uh, in it. Uh, the maintainers of Xtags, um, just because Shadow DOM's changing so much and hasn't been fully implemented like in all the browsers, kind of uh, about what they want to do about it, so it's been left out. Uh, so Polymer is supporting everything, and they've got model-driven views, and they've got pointer events, and so it's, it's big. And the reason why it's so big is that's the price of compatibility and being able to, uh, pardon me, being able to support you know, all of these things back to like IE9. So if it's big and that's scary, I, I know, but I still think you should play with this stuff anyway. And in the future, in like my ideal situation, these things will all get smaller. As more and more of the browsers actually implement features, these should get smaller and smaller. In fact, in an ideal world, a lot of these, a lot of the features that these share in common should become standard, and eventually, some of these things may not even exist. And maybe that's maybe that's good because they're common use patterns, and we should standardize them. I don't know, just an idea. So right. So an obligatory mention is actually Angular directives. Angular has been doing stuff that's kind of like web components already. In fact, both Angular and Ember, if you read their docs, talk about how they are very much inspired and influenced by the specifications of web components, even if they don't necessarily use all the technologies yet because they're just not ready. So you'll see, like as a second example here, you can create a, a you know a custom custom element in any number of these ways here. But the second one is very close, right? Like, that's basically what we're doing in the spec. Um, I think most I think a lot of people I know with Angular are probably doing this third one because, you know, practical web developers, and they've got to be compatible with IE. But if you look at how directives are set up, it's very similar to how you would register a custom element. 
And so it, that, that's an incredible amount of foresight for the designers of this library because that's going to make transitioning into using a document register a, a fairly simple, really, so that there's you know, not a lot of work that developers have to do in order to transition their applications. And then obligatory mention is Ember components. Um, I don't know too much about Ember, but someone did point out to me like the spot in the docs where uh, Ember had said like, yes, we are trying to be on board with, with web components and they have sort of some encapsulated component-like things as well. So that's a number of really popular frameworks that are all using these design patterns. So why isn't this stuff implemented in every major browser yet? Well, so it's tricky, right? Because it's a, it's a balance, really. Is we know, like you know, you know, working at a browser vendor, I've come to understand that uh, we know that developers want these features, but it's a balance of time and resources, and it's very difficult for browser vendors to go ahead and implement stuff that's not necessarily all that confident in its specification yet, because I know that it's sometimes really easy for us to just hack together a project and then iterate on it, but when it comes to, to browser vendors, the implications of that are, are quite profound. They, they change the platform that allows us to shape the web, and we've also got limited time and resources and money. We can't necessarily pull people off of a project to maybe work on stuff like that. So what you need to understand is just be patient, because uh, the more and more you guys get behind this, and the more and more you create frameworks and, and give feedback to the document or feedback to the specifications that this is what you want, uh, I assure you that browser vendors are listening. And I know that, at least with Mozilla especially, we are going to be pushing forward for that. I, I would like to give another talk like this in a year and be able to say yes. A lot of the major rendering engines out there now support this stuff, and it will be happy, and there will be cheers, and then we'll go have drinks, and it'll be awesome. So uh, one thing I want to mention is I was talking about uh, specifications. Uh, the reason why I give this talk is because uh, I have a weird, perverse need to go read through all this dry stuff, uh, so, and not everybody does. <laughs> so I like to give these talks because I kind of uh, I feel like I'm acting as sort of like a translator, because I know people are curious to know what's coming, people who really want to stay on the bleeding edge, but not everybody wants to read through the specification documents. You've got to understand that they're not written for you. They're not written as user manuals. They're written for the implementation of the platform to tell them exactly what algorithms so that we have interoperability her interoperability between uh, between different platforms so that you guys don't have to go and fix all sorts of cross-platform bugs and so the extensible web manifesto is uh, sort of a group of people that have all signed on with the idea that we want to tighten the feedback loop between developers and spec writers and so if you identify some patterns in development uh, you know we want you to come and give feedback or start you know prototyping out a specification of a feature that you would like to see keep in mind that if you do do that though you, what you want to do is be able to prove your use cases though you don't just want to show up and be like hey hey I've got like cool feature X no you've got to actually show that this is something that lots of developers are already doing in the wild in order for people to take you seriously and with merit because as I mentioned uh, implementing these things in browsers takes time and money and that's not something that we can we can take lightly okay so before I go something awesome so as for things that are really cool that have been built with uh, web components. Where did I put this here? This thing. Okay, maybe I've got to refresh this here so that it like resizes, or maybe it's not responsive. We'll find out. Nope, a little bit broken at 10:24. <coughs> sorry, sorry. So what this is, this is Mozilla's App Maker. This is a tool that started off as a toy, built using web components and uh, uh, brick-type components, and essentially it's a drag-and-drop app creator. And this is actually pretty fascinating because what I can do is I can add all sorts of widgets 
And then what I can do is I can create more views. I can add another card. There we go. Go back to widgets. And uh, where's that fireworks one? That one's pretty awesome. If I do a fireworks, add like a button going on there. Uh, the fireworks one is kind of hard to see, but if I click that, usually it'll fire the fireworks. So I, I recommend um, the, the flathead.herokuapp.com, and I think we actually have an official Mozilla URL for it now, but this is pre-alpha. View it on something that's not 1024 by 768 and play with it. So this was developed because someone wanted like a side project with web components, and now it's turned into actually what we're going to use as sort of a tool for people to uh, build mobile applications with, or at least prototype them, because if I click this publish button up here, which hopefully I can get to. Nope. Anyway, the publish button will actually give me an install URL. And if I visit that install URL on a Firefox OS device, I can actually install that application and test it right away. The feature that I'm pushing for, of course, is the ability to be able to, uh, the ability be, to be able to export code because once I get a little bit far with prototyping my application, of course, I'm going to want to be able to like have more control over the code. I don't want a complete WYSIWYG editor. I think that that's sort of a bad rabbit hole to go down. Uh, but I do think that's actually really promising because when we have developers coming from paradigms like iOS and they want to start developing for the web and they're familiar with things like Interface Builder, I'd love to throw them at something like that. And it's also really cool that it was built with web components. So I'm going to post uh, the slides online, but I've collected for you my favorite resources for web components. Uh, and so it's got the explainer, it's got Mozilla's App Maker, Xtags, Brick, Polymer Project, Shadow DOM Visualizer. Uh, the bottom five are done by uh, Eric Beetleman, who's done tons of really awesome writing. Like if you if you read those last four articles on Shadow DOM web components, you will be more of an expert than I am, I think. Uh, and so so there's some really Really great resources all in one place for you. So that's really it, Frontiers. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah. Who, who is that back there? I don't know. He's just some guy. That's awesome. I love it. Mustache. He's got sparkles and stuff. And sparkles. Uh, awesome. That was great. Um, there was actually uh, a few inquiries about accessibility. Um, right. So I was wondering if you can answer kind of what the state of accessibility is in the context of web components, brick, and all that. Yes. Uh, so my understanding when it comes to accessibility, like for things like Shadow DOM, right, where you're comparing the rendered tree to the host tree, is that uh, the browser, pardon me, screen reader should be able to crawl the rendered tree. So the uh, I always forget how to pronounce it, Y ARIA, W-A-I-ARIA specification yep. stuff, should have no problems. This was actually a really big concern for me, too. I had a lot of people asking questions about that. So. Cool. Uh, that's good. Um, this is actually something that I've been wondering about myself. Um, how can we keep the number of file downloads to a minimum with a lot of web components? Well, so. What people are doing kind of right now is they're concatenating templates onto their one main document. And until I feel confident that HTML imports have been worked out sufficiently like to mitigate that sort of stuff, that's probably what I'll do. Yeah. Like, I like the idea of HTML imports, but it's kind of a rabbit hole because you can have an HTML import, and then inside that HTML import, you can import something else. And then guess what? From inside that import, you can import something else. Now, I don't think that any reasonable developer would want to do that. but. Yeah, I, I, you know, if you want to load in like ten widgets, that's the overhead of ten HTTP requests, and yeah. I don't want that in my application. So. Yeah, I've seen. Um, I think one of the one of the developers on the Polymer project worked uh, created a tool called Vulcanizer. Oh yeah, uh, which is d uh, designed for this this uh, use case of like squashing everything down to a single resource. Yeah, and then even yeah. Adi Asmani did a, like a combination of Yeoman plus Vulcanizer. 
kind of work that out. But yeah. I think that's like finding a performant way of delivering these is something that everyone wants to figure that's, out. That's soon. sort of been my go-to recommendation is I, if I have like a number of templates that I want to grab and maybe just cache and have around for later, then I would love to have some sort of like logic for deferring it. Like if they're not crucial, that would be fantastic. Um, or and, and even if I do defer it and I have a bunch of them, I'd probably want to quash them all into one 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 file for one request. Yeah. Um, does appending uh, many templates into a document have any impact on the rendering uh, rendering time or rendering performance? I have no idea. I, I actually, I got this question and I was like, I, I, I tested it out. Did you test it out? Yeah, oh, yeah. well, you tell me then. Yes, okay, I will. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't? No. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, so uh, template, the template tag is, um, it's hidden, it's invisible, and it's also inert. And the inert basically means the browser ignores, you know, when you throw yeah. it into the DOM, the browser ignores everything that's inside of it, right? And it just like treats it like the um, the script script type equals text handlebars or whatever. whatever it is. Um, and so it's just straight up ignored. Um, and I tried it out, basically injecting a template tag into a DOM. There's no additional uh, layout um, caused whatsoever. So that's really interesting. I, I actually would have thought otherwise. Wow. That's yeah. So it's bit like browser, you. Sometimes you're, you're like, well, if the browser's smart enough, it would figure <laughs> out. And about half the time, it's like, no, browsers are dumb. And then half the time, you're like, oh, they did it right. All right. And this time, like it's that. good. So we're good. What? They do what? Ah, uh, mm -hmm. Steve Souders points out they do block rendering if you reference them uh, from JavaScript. Um, uh, definitely like a link rel. Um, mm -hmm. Web component, it's gonna block. Uh, yeah, sounds. We need like a big guide, performance guide on kind of what. Yeah, well, I mean, this all this stuff is so new, right? Like, yeah. I get a lot of questions about performance and about accessibility. Those are actually probably the two main areas I think that probably need more more documentation and stuff written. But all this stuff is so new, so. Yeah. Um, last question. Uh, what are Jimmy's, and how do they get wrestled? <laughs> I don't have that animated GIF. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's, kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that means like a getting worked up over something. Yeah. Seems Jimmy's, like Jimmy's are rustled. Well, Jimmy's all rustled up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, you know what I mean. Right. One, one person in the audience like cracked up. They knew what I meant. So. <laughs> all right. I like it. All right. Thank you, Angelina. Great. Thanks for awesome. having me, you guys.